Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 254. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm so glad to bring to you this week's guest, Nick Chapman. Nick is a commercial real estate lender, and I'm excited to bring him on to talk about all things commercial lending. So, Nick, welcome to the show. Jacob, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Well, Nick, before we jump into all things commercial lending, can we back up? Tell us a little bit more about yourself, who you are, your background, your role in this industry. Just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Absolutely. So, I got into lending in 2003. I had uh, moved to Hawaii with my girlfriend at the time. and and really didn't know where I was going to go career-wise, what have you, right? And I just started reading Think and Grow Rich, right? yeah. as all of us have probably read. And I was bartending in the financial district and in downtown Honolulu. And I just met some guys in the mortgage industry. And they just became regulars at the restaurant, at the bar I worked at. And one thing led to another. And next thing I know, I was working at GMAC Mortgage uh, doing residential lending for the next five years until we closed our doors. Definitely, I was in the right place at the right time, and it was a good run. Thought the party would never end, but yeah. it's, uh, like everybody, right? And uh, it did. So went back to the D.C. area where I'm originally from, licked my wounds for a couple of years, <laughs> and uh, then headed to San Diego and got into commercial finance. Just a you know commercial finance associate working for a private brokerage, and then really just started focusing on multifamily several years ago. And through just mutual connections with Jake and Gino in real estate, headed to Knoxville, Tennessee to launch Rand Capital, our commercial mortgage brokerage. And you know that's where Jake lives and, and Rand HQ is. And Gino living in St. Augustine, Florida, I had an office here that he wasn't using too much and wanted to head back to the beach. So we, we moved Rand Capital to St. Augustine, Florida, which is where we're headquartered now. And I just, you know, living a good life in, in North Florida. And just personally, it's just me and my dog, Murphy. Uh, so no wife <laughs> and kids, just uh, living the bachelor life, I guess. And uh, just growing the business and just having a great time. It sounds like warm beaches and commercial lending are your things, Nick. I was right up my alley. <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, it's funny to bring you on at this time because I was just telling you off mic here that I was recently talking with a buddy of mine. I was telling him about apartment investing and just kind of the high level intricacies. Well, not intricacies, but high level how it works, right? He's talking about, well, how do you get a loan for an apartment building like that? A bank's not going to loan you, Jacob, two, three, four million dollars because you probably can't pay that back, right? And I said, yeah, you bring up a good point. That's the world of commercial lending, the world you live in, Nick. So tell us just a little bit about commercial lending, how banks and why banks would lend on commercial properties like this? Great question. I think the best perspective to have is it's a little bit, and we'll dive into this, 
it's almost easier to get a loan for a bigger property than it is a smaller one, right? And the reality is when we're looking at properties, a multifamily north of, you know, $1 million purchase price, north of $1.5 million, really, we're looking at it as we're buying a business, right? If you're yeah, a right. multifamily investor, you need to look, you're buying a business and it's all about the profit and loss, right? And so you get into the bigger lending and the you know, Fannie and Freddie, they're really looking at the health of the business as opposed to you, right? It's less about, you're, they don't even care about your tax returns, but they do care about the P&L of that business. And that's the most important thing. There are certain attributes as a borrower you need to meet to uh, get approved for that financing, but it's much easier than most people realize. Yeah, sure. And the way I explained it to him was, you know, the bank looks at the borrower, you know, realizing that they don't have the personal financial statement or the ability to pay back, say that, let's call it just a $1.5 million loan, right? But rather the asset that they're lending against does. So they're much more concerned with the performance of that asset. And then secondarily, you know, you and your experience that you bring to the table. Absolutely. Your experience as an operator or what have you, but yeah, definitely we're more focused on the asset itself. Yeah, sure. Well, when we're talking about financing like this, who are making these loans, Nick? Primarily, the premium financing is provided by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, right? Fannie Mae is a little bit more conservative as far as your history as an operator, where Freddie Mac is more friendly to newer investors. And so that's who's doing most of that lending. And then, of course, there's private lenders, there's CMBS lending. You know, there are banks out there that do have an appetite for bigger deals, but Fannie and Freddie are going to be the two giants there because they give the most leverage, they'll give 80% loan to value, and and they'll give the lowest rates. Sure. And so when we're talking about Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, you often hear of those two entities or agencies called, well, just that agency debt, right? Absolutely. They are. They're agency lenders. And so they provide non-recourse loans, you know, 30-year amortizations. They're really the, the pinnacle of premium financing. Sure. And then tell us exactly what CMBS is. So CMBS, uh, you know, commercial mortgage-backed securities, right. it's just a different animal, right? So it's just a different lending animal. And they really have dominated warehouse, office, retail for the past 10 years. And, and most people have just what happened in 2008, right? was a result of the CMBS packages, right? So why they're relevant now in multifamily as Fannie and Freddie had started approaching their lending limits earlier this year, uh, much earlier than expected, they had started to raise their rates and lower the leverages on their loans and CMBS rates have come dramatically down. And so CMBS for the first time in years had lower rates and the same leverage that Fannie and Freddie were providing. So there was a huge shift from multifamily investors going towards Fannie and Freddie to CMBS. So really what happens is you have a CMBS provider, right? And they're going to securitize your loan about four to six months after the loan closes, right? It's going to be packaged with other mortgages and then sold off to investors. So it's just a different type of loan, but in the same regards, it's non-recourse, 30-year amortization, five to 10-year terms, years of interest only. So really um, a lot of the same attributes that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have. Sure. And there's been a lot of recent changes with Freddie Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, right? You alluded to the fact that they ran towards the end of their funding a little bit earlier this year, which to be honest, I didn't even realize that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac 
had lending limits like that until relatively recently, maybe, you know, as recent as last year. So tell us a little bit about that and how that impacted real estate investors. Well, no one really knew that they had these lending limits because it had never been a factor before. At the end of last year, you mentioned was the first time it really popped up, you know, late November, we saw some adjustments to loans. And so it just happened in August this year. And so the impact is as Fannie and Freddie were reaching their lending limits, what they do to make their loans more unattractive to slow down the applications going there is they raise the rates, they lower the leverage, and they really don't give any exceptions, none of the bells and whistles that you're used to. Sure. And so the impact was a lot of people got their deals killed because the leverage went from the 80% that they were expecting down to 75. And that's a huge difference when you find that out two, three, four weeks into your loan. And again, a lot of people shifted to CMBS, but CMBS lending is different, as I mentioned, even though it shares a lot of the same attributes. The minimum loan amounts for most lenders that provide CMBS is three, four, five million. So a lot of the smaller deals just got killed. And it also created a space for private lenders to step up. And that was a huge shift. They're easier to work with, a slightly higher rate. So it really just gave them an opportunity to step up and provide a lot of money. And of course, interest rates are a big component of all of this. And as of recently, the Federal Reserve has cut interest rates. So tell us about how that's impacted loans and consequently real estate investing. Well, on our side, not really too much, right? And why is that exactly? Sorry to interrupt you with another question. You know, you you would think that. Well, we're really looking at uh, Feeney May and Freddie Mac. Their pricing is really based off of the treasury notes, right? So most commonly the 10-year, right? But also seven-year, what have you, whatever matches the term length. And so those rates are really affected. If you've seen what's happened this week with the 10-year treasury, there's been a huge spike, right? So that's causing rates to go up, right? So, and again, it's, they cut rates to spur the economy, keep the good times going, right? That's <laughs> right. just good for investors as a whole. But as far as impacting rates of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, it really has is no impact other than that. Sure. Okay. Well, when you're looking at agency financing for a commercial asset, Nick, what are some things that the lender, in this case, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, is looking for in an asset? Is it you know, current performance? Is it the potential of the property? Is it the existing P&L? What are some things that an investor might be keen on knowing? The most important thing is the property stabilized. Right. And that means is it at 90% or higher occupancy? And both Fannie and Freddie are going to want to see that for 90 days. Okay. Right. Second, as far as the condition of the asset, should be at least average. Right. A lot of properties need work. You know, value add is where it's at. But uh, the property needs to be at least an average condition. Otherwise, you could run the risk of Fannie or Freddie feeling uncomfortable with the asset once they do their inspection of it. So that's really, as far as the asset goes, what they really care about. And then just for the borrower, the borrowing team has a net worth equal to the loan amount. And the borrowing team also has post-close liquidity of about 10% of the loan amount. So it's cumulative. Not everyone has to have the net worth. It's just combined net worth, combined liquidity. Sure. Okay. Now, when an investor is going to apply for a loan with Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, they're not walking down to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac's office, right? They're typically going to someone like yourself, a commercial mortgage broker. So tell us about the importance of working with someone like yourself, 
and how that can really bring value to the deal. Absolutely. And you're right. You can't just call Fannie or Freddie, right? And apply for a loan. So what I do, right? You, you build a relationship with me or someone like me, someone that has experience in the industry, in certain markets and what have you. And so what anyone in my position would do would be to pit Fannie and Freddie against each other on the deal, right? They don't have the same appetites for every type of asset or every market. And you want to make sure that you're providing the best financing for your investor possible. Sure. Okay. So somebody would go to you, Nick, and say, hey, I've got this asset in Houston, Texas. It's a 1978 construction, 200 unit property. And you're going to help underwrite the deal and look at the P&L and look at the commercials and all of those things. And then go to Fannie Mae and go to Freddie Mac and say, hey, we've got this deal. Who's interested? Generally, right? Absolutely. So yes, you're right. We would look at the T12, the rent roll, and the OM, unless it's uh, off market, and then we just need you know the address, and then we would you know look at the underwriting, everything like that, and then submit it for quotes with Fannie and Freddie. What are some common things you've seen why deals are getting rejected by agencies? So typically, if the deal gets quoted, it's going to close. That's it, right? You definitely want to have once you get the deal quoted, you want to have your application submitted within two weeks. These are some key points to know. And typically, you know, a lot of times I'll be happy to give some pricing guidance on something that where you're just about to submit an LOI or your LOI is not accepted yet with the seller. But um, typically, you know, it's a little early to get a, a quote, a Fannie or Freddie quote before the LOI is accepted because obviously things can change and whatnot. But really just, you know, that's it. We'll see which one Fannie or Freddie likes the deal better who's going to give us higher leverage, who's going to give us the lower rate. And there's a lot of nuances with Fannie and Freddie on the way they look at assets and the the property. And so we just want to have a good understanding before we submit to get there. Sure. Okay. Now, Nick, when you're looking at interest rates in a forward perspective, you know, there's been historically low interest rates in our environment for quite a while now. What does that do for the world of real estate investing and kind of what's your outlook going forward? Right. So interest rates, we know when, when the rates are going down, the, the prices of the assets are going up, mm-hmm. right? It just happens. And obviously we're in a hot market. So a lot of the assets are overpriced. So you need to have a lower interest rate to make the deal work, right? And as far in addition to that, you know, I would say when you're working and going back and forth with the broker, trying to negotiate the sales price, you know, you should have a, you know, you should be really strong at underwriting so you can justify your offer because right now it's going to be lower than the asking price. Yeah. Right? Sure. And so, you know, you want to have that ammo when you go back and say, Hey, Mr. Broker, you know, I know you're asking for, for 6 million. We're really coming in at four and a half and it's not because we're trying to lowball you. It's because that's, you know, what the financials of the property support And so it shows that you know what you're doing and they'll be more confident in you as a buyer. But uh, as far as my outlook, I think the rates are going to just stay low, especially through next year. And I think asset prices may adjust a little bit and slightly drop. And the reason I say that is, you know, we were speaking about Fannie and Freddie approaching their lending limits. Well, the FHFA gave them each hundred billion on October 1st. So great news. However, as I mentioned, Fannie Mae is a little bit more conservative with the borrowers. They like a strong team, uh, history of operators. Freddie Mac is tightening up a little bit too, right? So really, it's almost been like the wow for a few years, but they're really looking at the teams 
from a seller's perspective, you're going to want to choose your buyer more carefully as opposed to just who offers the most money because you want to make sure the deal closes. And let's say a bunch of guys that have never bought multifamily before that uh, don't live near the property or what have you, even though they might just offer you some astronomical price, they may not close. Yeah, sure. Well, Nick, in the process of purchasing a commercial, let's call it multifamily asset, how early in the process should one have their financing kind of in place and somewhat figured out? I'm always happy to talk about a deal before your LOI gets accepted. I always just tell everyone, don't tell me the name of the deal, right? It's a competitive market and maybe I'll know somebody that wins it and, and I would never want it to be you know, any bad blood to me and any investor that I work with. But you should really have these things figured out before you have a fully executed PSA. So when you get your LOI accepted, you should have in mind what you want to do with financing, whether it's agency debt, bank, private lender, bridge loan, whatever you need to do to take down the property, you should have that game plan mapped out. And then you should get your quotes within a matter of days of getting your LOI accepted. And so you're ready to go the, the minute you get the PSA signed and you can get that into the lender because agency debt is going to take 50 to 60 days to close. And most people have a 60 contract of maybe one or two 15 day extensions. So you don't want to waste any time. Finance is a very important piece of the deal. Yeah, sure. Well, Nick, what would you tell that first time? Let's call this person a, an aspiring syndicator, if you will. What would you tell this person you know, about the world of commercial real estate that you'd like them to know that you see a lot of people kind of get tripped up with, or maybe some myths or something along those lines? I would tell you, an aspiring syndicator, a couple of things, right? One, build your investor list more than you think you would ever need because half of the people that tell you they're going to invest in your deal are going to back out, right? Yeah. So have a lot of people ready to invest in your deal, build that investor list. When it gets to the financing, right, you're going to want to go with non-recourse, you're going to then to, to really juice the returns for your investors, you're going to want the longest amortization schedule possible, right? That's why the agencies are built for syndications. You get 30 year AMs, low rates, non recourse, and high leverage, right? And so, as far as that, again, the most important thing is that you have to look at these deals as a business and to make smart decisions and to not jump into a bad deal or a dicey deal just because you want to get something in the books. And you've brought up this non-recourse component of the lending a couple of times now. And tell us why that's so unique and important to real estate investors. Absolutely. Right. So when you're typically dealing with banks, they're going to be full or prorated recourse loans, which means if that property goes into foreclosure, the bank's coming after you and your partners and your personal assets. You're putting everything on the line. And that's fine in the beginning, right? On smaller deals, they're a little bit safer, what have you. But eventually, banks will stop lending to you if you have too much recourse debt on your balance sheet. Mm -hmm. So with non-recourse, let's say you buy a $5 million, $10 million asset, and let's just say you pick the wrong property management team or what have you. That property goes into foreclosure, or maybe you just bought an asset that was near a major employer that went out of business. Anything, any of those things, right? There's so many ways to look at a deal. Your property goes into foreclosure. Fannie or Freddie are not coming after your personal assets. They're not going to take your house. Now, they're going to want their money and they're not going to do business with you again until you make it right. But, you know, at least it lowers 
your risk, your partner's risk, your investor's risk. Yeah, sure. And that's a very unique component of lending in comparing commercial versus residential lending as you know from your early start in the residential field, right? Right. You can have, you know, as far as residential, you can have 10 mortgages, right? Yeah, right. So uh, you get into commercial and it's unlimited because it's non-recourse debt. It's not on your balance sheet. And that's what allows investors to, to scale and build up these huge portfolios. And there's that always that dreaded debt to income ratio, right? In the residential world, let's say you're going out and buying a duplex, you know, the lender is looking at your personal debt to income. Can you afford to pay back this loan in the commercial real estate lending space? That's no longer an issue, right? Right. Is, is, can the property pay off the loan, right? Are the tenants going to be able to do that? Not you, right? And so you, you nailed it. They're less concerned about your credit. No one's looking at debt to income, debt to credit, your credit score, typically, as long as you're 650 and above, you're good to go where you do look at residential and your personal credit score can be so much more of a factor. Your W-2, your pay stubs, all of that, which is uh, pretty irrelevant when you get to commercial lending. Sure. Well, Nick, what are some things you would suggest one to look for when they're trying to find a commercial mortgage broker such as yourself? Right. So definitely credibility, right? Experience, knowledge. And the ability to provide a safe place for a newer investor to ask questions, right? When you're like agency debt is a big gray world, right? There's so many nuances to everything. And uh, especially you get into that compared to CMBS, private lending, banking, credit unions. So it can be intimidating as a newer investor just to feel comfortable with a mortgage broker and then ask them questions. You know, I've worked with newer investors that had done unbelievably well for themselves in the tech space as entrepreneurs, but they didn't know what IO was, right? When we got on the phone and it's just about providing that, again, that safe place so everyone feels comfortable and you can really build the trust and relationship from there. Yeah, sure. Well, Nick, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking commercial lending and in this space with you. You know, you're a really knowledgeable person in this field. So if the audience members want to learn more about this, reach out, connect with you. Do you have any recommended resources or a uh, place people can go to learn more? Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to our website, uh, randcapllc.com. And we have some content on the website, a lot more education there. You can reach out to me through the website. I put a lot of educational videos on Instagram. So randcaplending, find us there. And you, know, you can email me, nick at randcapllc.com. And anyone who emails me, I'm happy to uh, share a Rand Capital white paper. And so the you know, beginning of it goes over the ABCs of multifamily investing. And then below that, I have a lot of the details of the guidelines for Fannie, Freddie, CMBS, private lending, bridge loans, banks. So it's a really valuable resource for any investor. Awesome. Great. So that's randcapllc.com. From there, you can contact Nick. We'll link all of those websites and contact information in the show notes. Nick. Hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. As we're wrapping up here, any parting piece of advice you'd like to leave with our audience members? Go out there and do it. Submit some LOIs. Don't be afraid <laughs> to make a mistake, but uh, you know, obviously be careful and don't ever pay, but uh, go out there and get it done. Awesome. Nick, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Jacob. Take care. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. 
please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom LLC exclusively. Thank you.